Welcome to episode four of Dead Horse Mountain Podcast. My name is Jimmy Wayne Garrett, and on this episode, I talked to Brad Wimberly, who's the owner of Turner Bend River Outfitter on the Mulberry River, which is on Highway 23, close to Cass, Arkansas, and it's about a 70 mulberry river is about a 70 mile river and 56 miles of it are declared as part of the national wild and scenic river system as of 1992 about 45 miles of it are quote unquote floatable it's got some sweet uh white water class two and three kind of rapids at times and we're going to be talking about Turner Bend in particular on the river and outside of some conservation topics with Brad. And it's just a little bend in the river where a family with the last name of Turner settled down many years ago. And it's just a spot here in Arkansas where there's a lot of cultural and historical significance that I think is real cool. So I stopped in and talked to Brad about it, and some other stuff that we talked about was the first black bear ever checked in Arkansas legally was at Turner Bend by a guy named Ronnie Eaton in 1980, and it was from the White Rock Wildlife Management Area. And it's just pretty cool stuff. So we're going to dive in to the conversation. And thanks for tuning in. Boston Mountains of Arkansas, and I'm with the owner of Turner Bend. Is it a general store and kayak outfitter? Yes, general yeah. store, um, outfitter. We also have a little campground and some, some cabins that we rent. Cool. So you've been owning this place for about 40 years. Yes, a little over 40 years. So tell me a little bit about yourself and how you cross paths with owning the Turner Bend part of the Mulberry River. Well, I was a, I'm from northeast Louisiana, and I and a gr- small group of friends were coming up. Uh, there was a booklet back in the day in the 70s that called The Mighty Mulberry, and, and a lot of people got their hands on that booklet and found their way to the mulberry, and on the back of the booklet uh, was Champ Turner, the pr- proprietor here, sitting on, a, on s- some rock work down near our landing there, and it said, oh, what a great guy Champ was, interesting fellow, and it also listed the phone number for Turner Bend, and you could call this phone number, and Champ could tell you 
you know, whether the water was rising, he didn't have a gauge, but he had steps in there. He could tell you how many rocks were covered or whether the river was rising or falling. You could get kind of a general feel for whether it might be good or not to come to the Mulberry. And uh, so I made my first trip to the, after going to the Buffalo a couple of times, it's like, okay, well, what's the, what's the next river? And somebody said, well, you should go to the Mulberry. And, and we had this little booklet in hand too. I think a fellow gave it to us. So I, you know, I was not unique in, in finding my way here with that booklet in hand and, you know, launching a canoe on the, on the Mulberry in the mid seventies there. Mm -hmm. uh, Turner Bend was the only uh, business of any sort out here at that point. Uh, well, that, but also that's right about the same time Wayfarer of the Ozarks opened a mile and a half downstream. Uh, but yeah, Turner Bend was was an original destination if you were going to the Mulberry. Is the Wayfarer still around here? Well, the building's still there. Um, Wayfarer was the first canoe rental, and that uh, it eventually that there. Well, let's see. There was Wayfarer, and then after this lawsuit was settled in 1981 uh, regarding the Mulberry, uh, then both Turnbin and Birds went into the boat rental business in 1982. So for a brief period in the early mid-80s, there were three canoe rental places on the river. Eventually, uh, Birds purchased Wayfarer. And so and they ran boats out of there for a while, and now it's a, they use it as a cabin that you can rent. Cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, so you were interested in water sports before you started coming to the Mulberry. Uh, how'd you get interested in water sports? <laughs> well, I mean, I grew up in the bayou country, right? And yeah. we were always in a boat, you know, fishing or frog hunting, or uh, gosh, we even once had, after a torrential rain launched a. Uh, you know, a little fourteen foot John boat on a on a flooded bayou and and worked our way down several miles through the trees and the snakes all the way down. It was kinda like a, a first float float trip for us as fourteen year olds. And got chewed out by the landowner as we were launching uh, from this bridge, you know, like, Hey, what do you think you're doing? yelling us as we as we paddled off. You think he was mad because you were on his property, or he was maybe worried about y'all. No, he's mad at us, uh, which which was uh, a foreshadowing of, of moving up here and having this landowner up up here mad at people floating the river that passed through his property. Yeah, uh, we'll kind of go in and out of this during the conversation, but the idea of conservation is a hot topic around rivers for a while, and it's probably going to be that way for a while. Always, yes. um, people want to own the rivers. It's crazy. Um, let's see. So, this place has a lot of history, way before you made it here. And I did some reading on it and some writing down of some stuff. And it says that, and you got this from Champ. Was he still alive whenever? No, Champ. Okay. Uh, I knew Champ and had gotten a sh shuttle from him. I think Champ kept records, and turns out. Uh, after his passing, his family looked at his records, and I was his next to last shuttle that he ran. Uh, so I was here for a couple of years that when Champ was here, and then came back another year, and it was Turner Bend was closed, and came back 
the next year and they had leased it to someone and came back the next year and that person was discouraged and getting ready to, to give up and, and, and quit their lease. So, uh, so yeah, I did no champ, but actually purchased Turner Bend from, uh, well, Champ's widow, Flora, but but the, the uh, all of her affairs were handled by her very astute uh, son, Lonnie, so a local prominent attorney. Cool. That's some cool history. Um, and yeah, so the Turner family, it was Champ Turner and Flora Turner, and before that it was a bunch of Turners that have inhabited right here. And I read where they came from Tennessee and they had like $2,000 to buy 500 acres and then somebody steals the money. Have you heard about that? I have not heard this story. <laughs> okay, well, it's okay. You don't have to clarify. It's just interesting history because one person's account is that there was a friend around the area that was a school teacher in this little neighborhood, they called it, which this is just the mountains, but um, that that person got word of this money and there was no bank, so it was just hidden somewhere in the house. And they came by when uh, the guy's wife was washing laundry down here at the river and he was gone away doing something else. And the teacher steals the money. But somebody else's account is that a traveling preacher came through here and stole the money. But they worked it out somehow where he, um, he was able to pay off the debt somehow without that cash. It just took him longer. You know, he couldn't just pay for it. And I don't know where he got the money, how he, you know, came across that much money back then, but it's funny because the people who occupied this area before them, in my mind, are the Cherokee and Osage Indians. And they didn't really live here, from what I know. They were just in and out of here hunting because this is rough country, you know. And so I'm just like, who did they buy this 500 acres from, you know? It was just kind of out here, and they bought it from somebody, but I couldn't find where that. Well, Lonnie Turner was. could answer all these questions, yeah. uh, and that, he would be a good source from that. I but might I just think give a lot him of, a quick phone call and get some facts or something. Yes, uh, you know, a lot of property here was the railroad got grants of property, and, oh, and yeah. so some property was purchased from railroad. Some of it was uh, homesteaded, and you know, the yeah, there was, was the a homestead land, act. Yeah, the homestead act. Uh, I think I, it, I, I'm ignorant about that, but I, th I think the Turners were the original uh, private landowners here. Yeah, and that the, I always say this: it was the Turners, and then and then me. Uh, an interesting figure would also be the, uh, Eli Turner. Back in the past, he had I think three different wives. He'd he had two wives. Two wives. Yeah, I read that. Isn't and, that interesting? And had twenty-four children. Twenty-four children and. Uh, Twelve from each wife, they said. Yeah, and and uh, was the uh, the builder of the massive rock wall that, that Eli that, built. That yes, the the steps out here. Well, he didn't build the steps. Oh, he right, built, it was a rock a wall. Long rock wall that went from from about where our steps are all the way down beyond the bridge of. 300 yards probably and, and it eventually got washed away right there's still remnants it? of it but yes it eventually most of it washed away because this thing gets rowdy this river out here 
it gets pretty big sometimes. Oh yeah, yeah. But that wall stood for decades. Yeah. Uh, it was a massive undertaking. So back to this store. Eli was Champ's father. Is that right? Yes, I think so. I think so too. I can double check all that. But I think there was an, an Elias Turner also mm -hmm. before that. And this store that you bought, the Turner Bend Grocery Store and Service Station at that time, was founded in 1911 by Champ and Flora. Uh, do you have any idea about like their customer base back then? I mean, was it a neighborhood store, or were a lot of people coming through here in 1911? Well, they would have been founded by uh, Turners before Champ, uh, because it predates them. And the original store, the, the, the first bridge over the Mulberry uh, was down near our landing. And it was a, a single lane bridge. We had pictures of it here in the mm -hmm. store. And uh, that bridge was built back in like, uh, I wish I knew the exact date, but I think about 1890 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I suspect the Turner Bend is older than 1911 because there's these pictures of a store down where down near our landing the, the original tournament store was down there it was a single lane road that crossed you know with slow moving traffic that crossed the mulberry on this one lane bridge and this beautiful bridge and um that store and bridge you know served for decades until 1935 the, the existing bridge was built and at that time the, the, the store would have been off the highway so they built a new building up on the highway here. a little closer so that and then that building served from 1935 until uh, 87 uh, and I, I had occupied and lived in it and run business out of it for five or six years at that point and then we uh, in stages dismantled the old building and built the, the new building basically on the same spot I had read where you uh when you first bought the store, you said, you were, well, you were quoted in someone else's article, but about fools rushing in and how you were lucky to have been so young and naive about, I guess, all the work that was going to have to be done to this place or something. Um, that's kind of just a segue into when was the busiest time when, when you were like, it was maybe so busy here you were losing sleep, you know, or something like that. Well, sleep was hard to come by because I lived in the back of the old store. Yeah. And uh, so you know, people, if you tried to close, they might be banging on the door one hand to buy something or yeah. they just had, uh, you know, really no no rest living like that. And, and the business grew pretty quickly to where <laughs> I was having to store beer in the, in the back of the store where I lived because there wasn't enough room and, and it was a... The building had a living quarters in store, and so quickly I was outgrowing that and, and having to store things in where I was living, to where I just had just enough room for a a bed and, and a little, you know, kitchenette sort of thing. Yeah. And, uh, Champ and Flora had the same problems. I they had the same problem. They raised three kids in that situation, but they weren't in the boat rental business either, mm -hmm. and uh, and they didn't sell beer. Uh, the, the people that leased it before me got the original beer license and then I was able to get it in my name and so early on uh, beer sales were 
uh, a big and important mm -hmm. part of what we did. Um, Madison County to the north of us was dry. It's yeah. not dry anymore, so beer sales aren't near what they used to be. Well, people are kind of probably drinking less too nowadays. Maybe uh, well, I, the pandemic I, turned that all around. But well, I, I, I've observed that for years. That uh, people seem to be more sober than they yeah. were back in the back in the day. I found out after I moved here all alone, not knowing anybody, trying to stake my claim here that the local sheriff at that time, uh, when when youngsters got in trouble down in Ozark, he would uh, chastise them and say, what, I don't want you to be pulling that number here in town. If you yeah. want to party and, and, and get drunk like that, you go out there on the river. So he was sending people out here to do their partying. I'll leave you alone if you go out there. Yeah. Well, I was unaware of that. I, I didn't realize that, that, you know, that it was encouraged to be the place where you came to get uh, out of your element. Out of your element. Well, canoeing seemed to be, or just recreation in general, seemed to be like on the rise starting after World War II. You know, people got a little more time. America's got more money and stuff. And uh, so things are just building up. And the, there are some PR that you had mentioned, too, along with people just doing more recreation. There was the Mighty Mulberry Guidebook in the 60s, and I looked that up. There's a copy of that, one copy, at the Fayetteville Public Library that you can check out. Um, and so that's the 50s, and then the 60s, that guidebook's coming in, and then you're you know coming up here during the 70s. And then it's all just kind of building, and the pig trail gets, which is Highway 23, which is what runs right here by the store, it gets designated by the national, uh, it gets designated as a National Forest Scenic Byway by the Federal Highway Administration in 1989. Now, is there like a sudden uptick in people just driving their cars on this byway around that time? No, I don't think that caused an increase in traffic. It was recognition of... Uh of what everybody knew that it was the, mm -hmm. you know, the, the pig trail oh, I'm taking the pig trail uh, and really it was an iconic scene uh, you know on a typical Friday you'd have a hundreds of cars of students headed south going to Little Rock or other parts of the state and then on Sunday evening here they came back by by the you know the droves long streams of cars winding their way the pig trail back up to Fayetteville and then of course ball games you had these you know the fans driving by with their flags waving and all yeah. that so uh, I mean the pig trail was it was cool it was what and it was the way everybody went and then of course the interstate comes along in about 1999 yeah yeah so that um, that changed things drastically here, and I really didn't know for sure whether the business was going to uh, survive that blow. Um, uh, you know, we're losing two thirds, three fourths of the traffic off the highway. If you're an, if you're a store that's sitting on the highway trying to, mm -hmm. you know, make a sandwich or whatever, uh, and you lose most of your potential customers, it, it was a it, it was a tough lick. Yeah, my mom owned a, the Hinesville cafe in Hinesville, Arkansas. And same thing with 412 Highway. 
and it and of course from where we're at right here on highway 23 interstate what was 540 and now it's 49 is a long way from here kinda in relation to like how my mom's restaurant was only a mile from where 412 was the traffic only got diverted one mile and it just crushed this whole town because of that that uh, highway you know not passing through it anymore even by one mile well, how, we're like 20 miles from Ozark, or maybe not quite that we're far. We're 11 miles from 11. the interstate here, and it's much shorter to travel this way. But, uh, but, you know, if you're driving 75, yes, you can get from Little Rock to Fayetteville quicker by staying on the interstate than by taking the big trail. Mm -hmm. uh, so now you have you know, lots of people that are, attend the University of Arkansas, and they only know what the pig trail is. Yeah. You know, or that name's being used by a lot of like uh, sports shows and Harley Davidson shops and all that now. But but you know the original highway. Uh, in fact, it's even got the pig trail itself has kind of changed. It used to be the route from the interstate through here, and then when you hit 16, you turned and you went to Fayetteville. That was quote unquote the pig trail. Oh, and now it's more associated with keeping on the Eureka Springs. Right, right. Eureka Springs has kind of laid claim to it. And they say, no, no, the pig trail is, is 23 from the interstate to Eureka Springs. And so they're, you know, they're laying their claim to it. But officially, the pig trail scenic byway is where it passes through the National Forest. Right, right here. And we're yeah. in the heart of it. Things are always changing. Yeah, they're going to change. So here's the real reason that I came here in the first place. Uh, in the early 80s, my grandfather was involved in the Big Bear Contest here at Turner Bend. And he won four cases of Ham's beer, and their mascot was a bear, which you probably knew that, but it was like I learned that. Uh, and also a Ham's beer cooler. Who thought of the Big Bear Contest? You? Yes. How did you, what was the thought process where, when you came up with the Big Bear Contest? And bear hunting had just been made legal in Arkansas at that time. Well, uh, the, the first bear legally killed in, and checked in Arkansas was checked at Turner Bend. Uh, and that was actually predated me by a year or two. Uh, but Turner Bend was a wildlife check station. And the very first year I was here, I had a big buck contest. And then the following spring, I had a big turkey with the longest beard contest. And so, and then here's bear season, which was its own thing. We said, well, okay, let's have a, let's have a biggest bear contest. And being that Ham's beer was popular, real popular then, and when we had a styrofoam Ham's bear, <laughs> we put out standing in front of the store. Like a giant one. And it was about life size, or, or as big as a, a, human. As a human, and uh, so it, it, it stood to reason that, yeah, having hams, um, we, we, you know, kind of made a joke out of it, hams uh, right. sponsoring the Big Bear Contest. That's real cool, because uh, this place has been associated with 
it's just a big um, how do I say this? The cultural significance of Turner Bend is powerful. It's it's named after the family Turner family and it's been around since they laid claim to it because it just had some sort of influence on culture around here even then. And then it's still having an influence on culture where you're canoeing and hunters are coming through here and checking stuff and it coincides with kind of even a conservation mindset where you're you're wanting to keep engaging with the river you want to keep it around you know like there's not a there's not a Starbucks across the street from this place I hope there never is right. uh, but you know the bear hunting is coming around a little later than all the canoeing uh, culture is but the bears were coming back from being completely destroyed their populations were destroyed here in many places and there was an article from 1969 about the scarcity of wildlife here at the campgrounds and this lady goes on to say every once in a while you might see an armadillo and they're coming up from Texas and road runners and she mentions panthers have you ever seen a black panther uh, not a black panther uh, my wife saw a panther while jogging and other people did near here about you know, four or five years ago there was a panther that was seen pretty frequently uh, through here I, but it was a tan color and yeah so it was a mountain lion yeah, same same thing. Well, it's different. Uh, it's tough because the panther. It's it's so tricky because some people really believe in black panthers, like they've seen them. But a panther is a, a panthera is a spotted cat, and even the black melanistic variation of a quote unquote black panther kind of has spots. And people swear that they've seen them around, but I was just curious because it's it's kind of a little piece of folklore. But sure. Panthers are coming, or not panthers, but the mountain lions are coming back around here too. Uh, it's not just bears. It's There's another large carnivore out there. Uh, fast forwarding, no, let's go, let's go backwards a little bit because we're kind of on the conservation deal. Uh, in the early 30s, 1930s, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, I think, started the Civilian Conservation Corps. Right. And it employed men from 18 to 25 years old to just come out here and uh, I mean I read a little bit about it what I've seen that they've done for sure is there'll just be some rock walls out in the woods protecting stuff from erosion or um, they're responsible for building a lot of devil's den and kind of making stuff you know the government's just paying people to give people jobs and they made some really cool stuff. Uh, what kind of stuff did they do around here in particular? Because right down the street is the, is in Cass, Arkansas, is that Civilian Conservation Corps little complex. Right. That that was a big uh, CCC camp, and uh, oh my gosh, they they built uh, Shores Lake Dam, uh, the cabins up on White Rock. Uh, a lot of these roads that go through the forest, uh, if you get off where there's a culvert, you can see they, they there's nice rock work where they um, they built these rock culverts and, and uh, Gray Spring little uh, picnic area was built CCC era they did a lot of 
fine, fine work that, I mean, here we are almost 100 years later and, it, and it's still there to be appreciated. I think that's really cool stuff. Here at Turner Bend, we got all this stuff. We got hunting and canoeing, and we were just talking about conservation and stuff. Uh, and now there's, is there a lot of hiking and and like mountain bike riding around here lately? Because well, there's you know, kind of some mountain bike culture coming from Northwest Arkansas. You know, we haven't benefited from that very much. At the, the there's not a quote-unquote mountain bike trail in this area. We wish there was, but uh, there, there's not. Uh, there's some gravel ride, uh, riders, and there's a, even a gravel grinders ride, I think, uh, that Mulberry Mountain hosts. Hiking is uh, remain, remains pretty popular. It's never going to be just the great big thing. I mean, like right now, we've got a guy from uh, Indiana staying in one of our cabins that's uh, trying to through-hike the trail. The but Ozark Highland Trail. The Ozark what? Highland Trail, and but it's it. I mean, that's got limited appeal. I mean, not yeah. not every, hiking, especially uh, long distance hiking, is certainly not not for everybody. Uh, this side by side riding has tremendous appeal, and and that that's a growing thing for sure. Yeah, they have festivals and everything, don't they? For oh the yeah, side yeah, by yeah. Side stuff, um, yeah. Birds host a lot of uh, events, and, and you know, it's it's a tremendously popular. And this new van life. I went to, a, I played music down at the van life sort of festival at Birds not too long ago. I can't remember the name of it, but it was all about these uh, vans that people live out of with solar panels and, you know, gas tanks on the outside. I think so, I remember what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, it's real cool stuff. There's a lot of motorcycle riding that goes on motorcycle. up and down this. You mentioned Eureka Springs. Yeah, uh, and the, the Pig Trail, and, and of course the road upriver is paved now, and so that's, that's a popular ride. Uh, so we've, you know, back when we lost all the traffic from the Interstate 49 being completed, um, we started kind of hanging our hat on, yeah, it's the pig trail. It's curvy. You know, some people wanted to avoid it because it was curvy, but we said, well, let's let's try to get those that you know, that, that that curviness appeals to. Hey, hey, take the take the curvy path through the mountains, the pig trail. So we, you know, we started. Uh, emphasizing the things we can handle in the store more and trying to um, make it more of a mecca for the bikers. Yeah, do you think all the hunting and motorcycle riding and canoeing overlaps well? It makes for a really interesting uh, mix of customers. Uh, there's certain days, and what we had one recently, where you've got all these side-by-sides in here and they've got mud all over them and then you got the motorcycles and they they don't they're not getting muddy they, they're they want to look good you know and they keep keep all the mud off their motorcycle then you got the the boaters coming in and then they got their wetsuits on and their colorful gear and then you know maybe here's some hunters come in and, and they got their camo on and oh this is good i'm glad you brought that up because we were looking at pictures yesterday and uh i commented about the the evolution of the camouflage the closer to now in time we get the more camouflage people were wearing how has the boating gear changed over you know <laughs> the years because you mentioned how hunting camouflage was like kind of a fashion statement sometimes and i thought that was funny you think that there's a fashion statement about the boating gear too that stuff's uh, all expensive well yeah and and 
colorful is the, is what mm -hmm. boaters want. You know, I mean, I'm, I guess there's a safety aspect for that if you're floating out, you know, out of your boat and going down the river. But it's also fun, you know. So you yeah. see purple and red and yellow and all this, and um, and that's that's part of the fun. Maybe maybe you would never wear uh, yellow and purple or you know whatever, but you but you wear it on the river. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you have won a load star award for long is that the lotus Lo okay they had mistyped it on the article lotus star award for your no, long no you're, you're correct no, uh, it, it's it it was a load star award okay. and then yeah you're correct no, i'm, I'm incorrect. yeah l-o-d-e star award yeah that was for, uh keep arkansas beautiful okay what uh how do they pick a winner of that are you the only winner that no, year, or I, how does that work? I think what they did, uh, there was this uh, gathering in the Little Rock. Oh, I could look it up, but it, you know, maybe eight years ago. And uh, at that time, I think 25 people were, it was the 25th anniversary of Keep Arkansas Beautiful mm -hmm. Commission. And, uh, and so at that time, they named 25 people to be winners of of a lodestar, of lodestar. So 25 of us got that at that time. Now whether they, it's an ongoing award after that yearly, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if they've given any more after that. And Turner Bend as the store, I guess, was also a winner of a 2013 Arkansas Environmental Stewardship Award. Um, how do they determine the winner of that? Well, that was from the uh, Pollution Control and Ecology. Uh -huh. and, and a lot of this stems from um, you know, I uh, started and continued to host the uh, annual spring river cleanup day. It's proved to be very popular. We have over 200 people come to that, and uh, you know, we we gather you know mountains of trash each time, and uh, so it's a very you know successful ongoing thing. We've had it 31 times now, and uh, and it's also spawned uh, some other cleanup efforts on. The Elk, no, excuse me, uh, the Kings River and the Illinois River. Uh, the people have come here and attended our cleanup and then gone back and started similar efforts on, on those rivers. So, yeah, that's very cool stuff. I know that even for me, we like to be conscious of the amount of trash that we make, like as a household, but there's kind of like a social loafing experience that happens when you it's not your home and you're maybe in a parking lot and you see some trash over wherever or you're hiking and there's a little trash and maybe you don't pick it up but maybe if you've been to one of these things that people are a part of or cleaning up the river you know you think well I'm just gonna go over there and get that now and maybe it changes your thinking just a little bit because you know about the Mulberry River cleanup and you think about that often enough to where you pick up more trash when it's not the day that you're floating the river and picking up trash. Yeah, hopefully, and... Uh, well, it definitely does for me. I okay. mean, I, because even after just coming here yesterday, um, I went fishing in Boonville, and before I left, I was I just saw some trash, and I thought about the river cleanup, and I went and got a bag of trash, just a Walmart bag. It didn't pick up, you know, that much trash, really, but it, I picked up a little around the boat launch area. Yeah. And I could look down the shore and I'm like, wow, this is really a big job. I don't have all the stuff to finish it. But I was thinking about it. 
Well, and, and the day of the cleanup, it's inspiring if you're out there, you know, three hours walking along picking up trash. It's kind of hard to do that on your own. But if you're thinking, hey, I'm, you know, I'm with this there's group. 200 of us out here doing this, you know, I, you're, you know, you got some wind in your sails. There. Yeah, I was on a, the Kings River cleanup, and one of my friends, she kept loading up, her name's Rhiannon, she kept loading up so much trash that uh, she had big tires, truck tires in the boat, and she had a half of aluminum boat tied with a rope to her boat because somebody had left a chopped up aluminum boat on the riverbank somewhere and it was all mangled and she's dragging that behind her canoe I mean her canoe was about to sink yeah and it's funny but it, like you said it gives you this energy where you're just like look at her and then you pile on more trash you're like yeah let's see if we how much we can get in here you get real fired up about it for sure well and a lot of kids uh, people bring their kids out what well, I mean that's almost the best aspect of it because it those kids are I mean not only are they helping a little bit but they're they're not gonna, I don't think they're gonna be litterers and they're probably gonna be taking part in future cleanups and maybe even organizing efforts as you know that generation comes in. And or not throwing trash out of their canoe. Right. Yeah. So. In the first place. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I really appreciate all that stuff. I, I came in here because of the big bear contest that my grandfather won and we have the shoulder mount of that bear at my dad's house right now. And Turner Bend is, it has affected my life in ways that I kind of was unaware of and hadn't even thought of at the exact same time until just a few weeks ago. And it's just a, it's a cultural influence on the area, just whether it was, you know, your outfitting service or before that when it was just Champ Store, it's affecting this region. And I think it's in a positive way because, like I said, there's not a Starbucks across the street here. I like a little diversity on my landscape, and this place is keeping that going by keeping it clean. And I just really appreciate that. On a mountainside where the river faces A big old sky wide open spaces so crowded you just think it's gonna burst and this big old iron world has turned around and you've been around here taking care of this place for about 40 years have you thought about the next 40 years what it might look like for this place I think about that all the time, and and I, you know, got my uh, eye out for who, you know. Well, who's going to be the? Who do I pass the torch to? Uh, you know, how do we find the proper exit strategy? Uh, you know, that would honor the uh, the legacy here, and, and somebody that would you know they've got to make a living, and 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 if we're renting it to them, they've got to pay us some rent, or uh, or if we sell it. We got to get a decent price, but you also want uh, almost the most important thing is is that it's you know preserved to run basically like it is. I know things are going to change, but at some point, but you want you want that tradition to to carry on and a like-minded person hopefully take it over. Yeah, luckily we're situated here in the Ozark National Forest and the Boston Mountains of Arkansas, and it's like. 
it's pretty well protected in a lot of ways, but in some other ways, um, logging has, has taken quite a toll on this area in a lot of ways. How do you feel about all the logging that's been done? Do you feel like we're changing the way that it was done initially? Because like a hundred years ago, they pretty much came through here and, and clear cut, right? Or am I wrong no, about no, that? No, you're not wrong. Yeah. If you look at pictures uh, of what this area looked like in the early 30s, that a railroad came down into this valley. And so they-, they To they, get those logs. To get those logs. That was the only reason it came in here. And they logged everything. And, and except for maybe a crooked one, you'll find a really big, big oak that's crooked out there. I've noticed them hunting and stuff, but other the, than that, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, the, the the hills were stripped, and and of course there was lots of erosion, no doubt. Then, and there were a lot of people living here then, trying to farm in the in the you know in the valleys and in, in the bottomland, and and you know you get a big flood, and maybe the flood was even bigger because of the. The lack of trees on the hills and, and a lot of erosion. Oh, certainly. A lot of topsoil getting washed away, and and a lot of people having to leave because they couldn't make a living here. And uh, and then here comes the CCC. They planted a lot of trees. They did that too, yeah. And uh, so you began, uh, you know, the regrowth, uh, regeneration of it all. And you know, all in all, that I mean, there's a lot of practices that people. Uh, protest about the Forest Service, but I think they have to jump through a lot of hoops to to manage their logging. Uh, right now, a, a, a far more concern would be the uh, there's a landowner up river up near 103. Well, he's got a bulldozer in the river in the summer, and uh, and then right across from his property, here's the highway department having to spend Fix a whole lot down. of money to shore up. Highway 215, where it's dropping into the river, right across from where he's doing his bulldozing in the river, which is illegal, but and it's been brought to the Corps of Engineers' attention. But he, you know, one person with a bulldozer can can mess up things and, and cause a lot of gravel to move around, and so you know that that's a current concern right now. Yeah, and the personnel from some experience I've had over in Carroll County, the personnel that has to deal with that are just sort of on damage control. There was some complaints about a guy scooping rocks out of a tributary of the Kings River Keels Creek, and he is on the radar of, I think there's two guys that are supposed to be working for the state to manage uh, making people not do that. And then he's just such a small fish in the bigger scheme of things in like the two county area or whatever that they're in that they just can't go get everybody because there's not enough manpower to do it. Right. And, you know, the world needs nurses for sure. I think the world might need more biologists or something. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I think about it a lot how it's going to shake down over the next 40 years because I'm only 34 and I do love this place. And one thing that Arkansas is doing, well, and to say first, it's, it's a hard job to manage between conservation and public relations. And it, people can be upset, but I think Arkansas is doing a better job, from what I've read, by doing smaller burns in particular more frequently that would happen more naturally. And it, it stops the big sweeping burns that we're seeing out west. <coughs> um, and nobody has the answers because it's all kind of still a new we're trying to relearn maybe what we forgot generations ago because 
because the native people of America were burning, and uh, we've forgotten a lot of stuff as a, as a people. You know, we're we are taking all these comforts, and we're losing some of our knowledge about how to manage the world we live in. I think, um, which is another reason I wanted to talk to you today about all this stuff because you've had a, such a positive influence here, yeah. and you know. And you didn't do it alone either. You had a lot of people helping, and that's what it takes. Yeah, and could I bring up, um, you know, a lot of the river access on the Mulberry? I mean, uh, I helped very much at the building of Campbell Cemetery Access back in 2005. We didn't have a volunteer, we didn't have a nonprofit organization at that time. So, um, there was some Forest Service money, but there was a volunteer labor, and we had Turner Bend actually had to serve as the contractor to, to build the, the steps of the river there. And but I donated weeks of work down there, and, and then well, then we formed the Mulberry River Society to to take over the day uh, the day of the cleanup, the the management of the cleanup, because I wanted the cleanup to, to be an ongoing thing that would outlast me. And that, that, that was successful. And then, so the MRS, Mulberry River Society, then uh, was able to build the access points at Indian Creek and High Bank. And at Anastarner Bend, we took part uh, fully in, in the building of those two access points. So, uh, you know, that's, that's part of something that, that I've been able to give back that, that I'm proud of. Yeah. I like all that stuff, man. That's good stuff. You got anything else uh, oh, in yeah. closing? You know, I've, I've entered land in the... Uh, we were fortunate enough to buy some property 15 years ago, just downriver, and, and uh, a lot of it was is, was pasture ground that, that would flood, that does flood, and we planted much of that in the Conservation Reserve Program, 32 acres of it in, in oak trees. Uh, so, you know, when the river comes up, and it spreads out over that land that filters out a lot of uh, sediment uh, and keeps those banks from eroding hopefully and uh, makes acorns too makes acorns and which will later feed deer which I like to hunt yeah oh yeah and, you're a deer hunter too oh yeah okay. yeah I mean not I'm, yeah they're not suffering every now every two or three years I'll kill a deer but I like to sit out there and watch them but uh, you know the, the Conservation Reserve Program is a good thing. Yeah. Are you a bow hunter or a rifle hunter? Rifle. Yeah. Packing up my picket, leaving town, leaving town. Packing up my picket, Arkansas Band, Arkansas Band. I'm leaving this city, Arkansas Band, Arkansas Band. Oh, I'm leaving this city, Arkansas Band, Arkansas Band. We're leaving. Louisiana, there were four of us in two vehicles. I had a canoe in the back of each truck. It was just a hurriedly, it rained, we knew it had rained in Arkansas. Like, let's go, let's go paddle. And we'd gone to the Buffalo, and we'd gone to the Mulberry, and we'd gone to the Big Piney. But this was just a hurried up, you know, meet, now let's, let's go. And we, so we took off, headed north. And How many in the party? Four people, two in each truck. Yeah. And, well, this was way before cell phones. Well, we, we, we hadn't said where we were going. And we got somebody, we pulled over it, I don't know, Pine Bluff or somewhere, and, and 
the other car pulled over the next exit and we got we got separated and we didn't know who was in front and who was in back and so then we're like well what the heck we don't we don't even know where to go and where, where to meet the other guys so so we debated said well uh go to the mulberry go to turner bend park in front of turner bend and you know good chance they'll they'll come to the same conclusion so we arrived at turner bend at midnight and and an hour or two later, here came our buddies, and they had kind of gotten uh, turned around and wondering what, but they said, well, you know, if you're going whitewater paddling in Arkansas, where do you start? Where do you go? Oh, you go to Turner Bend. And so that stuck with me that, that you know, that that was just almost like the default spot that you went if you're going to, you know, jump on one of these whitewater rivers. Yeah, I mean, growing up hunting in these mountains, we would hunt right over here on Morgan Mountain. We'd drive up Fly Gap and we'd go down and hunt Morgan Mountain. And if you needed something, you came down and turned a bent. It's just, it's a culturally significant place. Uh, random stuff that maybe you know, maybe you don't know, but I'll share with you. It doesn't necessarily have to be part of this, but they named Fly Gap after some flies gathering up around some moonshine still. I did not know that. Yeah, and uh, just if just while, there's almost all this stuff you could learn about down here. But the river, it was cool to know that this river's 373 square miles, and it's got it's 70 miles long, but only 56 miles of it are dedicated as a wild scenic river, and then only 45 miles of it are floatable, according to, and that's meaning I, I guess from. It's floatable, meaning it's from Wolfpen down to the mouth at the Arkansas. I mean, it it was hard to know all that. There's probably a river map that could let you know more, but well, we have we have a that. map that we sell here. But uh, that you know, there have been people float fairly frequently when the water's up uh, up above 103, uh, a good from say Catawba down. Uh, so that extends it on the upper end of the river and then there are some people that go beyond Mill Creek on, on even on beyond the interstate to, down to the Arkansas but for most people the the floating occurs between Wolf Pen and Mill Creek which is right at 40 miles yeah it's cool stuff my buddy on the podcast episode just before this one's going to be he floated the Mississippi River in a canoe the whole way there's a guy that well this fellow's staying in our cabin right now yeah you may want to do a talk with him yeah he has paddled the entire mississippi river in a kayak wild stuff out there on the river man rivers are i was watching the water just tumbling in the ditch on the way here and i'm like it's just something about it makes you want to go get in it you know it brings out the wild in people (laughs) (laughs) right yeah, uh, Mulberry Madness, they call it. Oh, is that what they call it? Yeah. Let's see. When's the last time you floated this river? I don't float it as much as I should or, or, or want to. I, I, the last time I was on it was in, in the Jungle Butterways here. Any day I can get out there, you like it. I, I can enjoy it because it's, it's running this business. It is hard to get to, to get away and get to have my own river time. And so I, I'm really not picky. I'll, I'll go at any level. What's the Jungle Boater race? Well, okay, initially it was 
the Turner Bend canoe race. Uh, but a friend of mine, um, his paddling buddies had been called jungle boaters by somebody out east who said, you know, you guys don't really know how how to paddle. You're just kind of thrashing your way down the river like a, like you're hacking your way through a jungle. And so they, you know, they like that name, jungle boater. And then we uh, borrowed the name and then changed it from the Turner Bend canoe race to the jungle boater race. And now it's it's probably more kayaks than canoes. It is more kayaks than canoes. But uh, we've had 41 annual jungle boater races. So that was something we started the, the very first spring, 1982, we had the first jungle boater race. And we just had the 41st. And, and it goes every year. Every year from birth. Even during the pandemic, you were having it. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the year 2020, when the pandemic started, we actually held the jungle, because we held it in early March. Yeah. We had just uh, had the race, and there was just this little bit of unease and maybe a little bit of a downturn in attendance. And then right after that was when the lockdown, you know, what hit the fan. And then, well, then 2021, uh, we said, well, yeah, that was the 40th annual Jungle Boater race. And I said, I'm not going to cancel the 40th annual Jungle Boater race. And attendance was not great. It was pretty good. But I mean, you can paddle down a river without catching a virus. You know, so everybody kind of kept their space, and then we held the 40th annual. Now, this year, hopefully, everybody's well, we've had it, and it was well attended, kind of a rebound in attendance. So, yes, yeah, so it's an annual tradition. We have a gong that we, we and the, the slogan is "Bang the gong, get it on." We hit we hit the gong, and, that, and then start the race by banging this gong. How long has that sign been hanging? So, what we're looking at right now is there's a metal tubing frame holding up about a. 30-inch round gong, and he's going to bang it. This is going to be awesome. And above it is a painting that says Jungle Boater Canoe Race 1982. And that thing's been around since the 82, that painting? Uh, or has it been redone? Almost that long, but okay. it, it, it was made to, to it started in 1982. Right, here we go. race kind of captures the spirit of the whole thing it's it's for there's some really good racers but most people that are in the race just they're just out there paddling as hard as they can they're not real racers but they you know once a year I'm doing something competitive and, and they're having fun and they're having fun doing it Thanks for listening. And special thanks to Brad Wimberly again for entertaining an interview and Joe Sundale and Melissa Carper for their musical comp- contributions to this podcast. And I'm going to leave y'all with a, a short little interview I did with the front desk lady of Turner Bend. And it's super interesting to me because she kind of jokes about people not having a social life outside of this Turner Bend little grocery store. And I think that the social life that it has helped create is a pretty big deal. And it's really cool. So thanks for listening and see y'all next time.
So Rhea, you work here at the uh, front desk the, at the Turner Bend Grocery Store. What do you think about this place? Um. Maybe I should leave. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nothing bad. I guess it's a pretty historic spot. It's a good meeting spot for the locals, that's for sure. Actually, I think if we didn't have this spot, a lot of people wouldn't have, like, a social life. <laughs> they, you know, uh, we have the regular local guys that come out here and drink coffee every morning. And aside from that, it's like a good meeting spot. When did you first hear about the Mulberry River. Well, crazy story. My husband's in-laws lived in a bus up in the hills of Pettigrew, and they were told us, they were like, hey, Rhea, Chase, come check out this house. And 23 had a landslide, and we got rerouted from GPS down a crazy dirt road, which is Lick Branch. And if you know that road, it's like a crazy incline, like... The nose of your vehicle actually points towards the ground. And we ended up coming down that hill, and we've been here ever since. Um, That's a solid Arkansas story right it there. It really is. And the National Forest is just like a giant playground. Come, 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 me, come, me.